Hello and welcome to Stony Creek Radio, the sermon podcast from Stony Creek Baptist Church in London, Ontario. We're so glad you've tuned in today. Our prayer as you listen is that you'll be encouraged and built up in your walk with Jesus as we study God's Word together. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's jump right in. I'd like to open your Bibles to Numbers 22. My mic sounds good, doesn't it? Uh, just took a brand new mic is all we had to get. But I do want to say in light of that, uh, a huge thank you to uh, Mike Lee, John Wyant, and then Kevin Trace helped as well. Uh, three Sundays ago, these guys after the service, two of them were here for nine hours rewiring everything for our back booth over here. Completely volunteered their time to make it so that we could function the way that we know that we are able to function. And so a big thank you to those guys for that work and doing that. So we are hopeful now, moving forward, one piece at a time, and it'll be good. All right, uh, there's a football game on today. I know some of you are like, I hope he doesn't go no, too long. Uh, I don't know if you saw this week, the Asbury Revival, so Asbury uh, seminary and college in the States, a Wesleyan school. They started chapel on Wednesday, and they're still meeting right now. Uh, there's been a revival that has broken out there. People have been coming from all over. They've been singing. They've been worshiping. They've been praying together. It's pretty neat to see. And so uh, excited for what is happening there. Now, I'm not planning to go in, into Super Bowl hour, but you are welcome to stick around if that's what happens here <laughs> as we go on. But uh, Super Bowl, this... Um, on January 2nd, I don't usually watch very much football. I sometimes watch this game. But January 2nd, I got this notification on, on social media about some event that was happening on Monday Night Football. Uh, there was a football player. His name's DeMar Hamlin. You probably have heard this story on the news. DeMar Hamlin passed out on the football field. He collapsed. His heart stopped beating two times, they said. And uh, paramedics and doctors had to revive him, get him to the hospital. Uh, what was very unique about that, social media kind of prompted me on that, that this event happened. I went on and started to watch. And what was interesting about that was millions of people tuned in to Monday Night Football that night to watch a football game. What they got instead was a prayer meeting. When DeMar Hamlin collapsed, every single one of those football players on the field, as wealthy as they were, as powerful as they were, as much influence as they had, they realized that they had no power over what had just happened to their friend, Damar. They knew they needed God in that moment. And so millions of people that tuned in for a football game got this prayer meeting where a group of people were praying together for Damar. And Damar now is, is doing much better. You, start, you read some of the reports. He's giving all glory to God in the midst of all of this. God can use even Monday night football to challenge a person in terms of their eternity, to cause people to turn their face toward God. What we've been seeing in this series is God even uses donkeys to do that. And I take great delight when I'm reading this passage and then when I get up here every single Sunday morning, sometimes feeling completely lethargic most of the time, well, pretty much every Sunday feeling like I am not worthy to be standing here and proclaiming the word of God to you. And yet I remember God spoke through a donkey and I realized, you know, he could maybe use me for this. To speak into the lives of people. If God can use a donkey, surely 
he can use me. What we are going to see again today is God using a false prophet, a man who was bent on making money, driven by greed to curse God's people. And God is going to take what he intended for evil and use it to bless his people. And that's just like our God to do that, isn't it? We're going to be reminded of that as we work through this passage this morning. Now, I just want to, just quick word of apology, I guess. If you normally come on Sunday mornings and you don't bring your Bible, you don't have a device in front of you, you follow along on the screen, you're not going to be able to do that this morning. And that's because last night in my house, when I normally work on this, I don't know how to describe it. It was a gong show. Maybe I'd use that term. It was some kids completely out of hand, kids who got dysregulated, and so I wasn't able to actually put this together. Now, I did encourage you a couple of weeks ago to bring your Bible for this series, so if you didn't, shame on you for not bringing that. <laughs> I'm just being serious. All right. <laughs> I was going to say I was just joking, but I'm actually not really joking. Um, okay. Numbers 23 is where we left off. We've been studying this great passage together, this narrative. It's like this insert in the story of Balaam, in the story, really in the story of the people of God, and this insert with Balaam and Balak. So as the people of God are wandering through the wilderness, they're on the brink of entering into this land that God had promised them, and Balak, the Moabite king, sees Israel there, and he gets afraid because he knows what Israel has done to the other nations, even though they were provoked in it. They, they were attacked. Israel was attacked. God gave them victory over each of these other nations. God said to the people of God, don't touch Moab. Leave them alone. Don't provoke them. Don't fight them. Leave them. The Moabite king Balak did not know that. And so he got very frightened. He got terrified of God's people that were camped out and he was worried they were going to come take him out. So he hired Balaam. He sent his cronies to go hire Balaam. Balaam came back after a very interesting exchange, a donkey who, who tried to stop him, who then God still said, no, listen, go on and just only say what I tell you to say. And so that's kind of where we leave off now. Balaam is now entered into, uh, he's coming to Balak, and Balak says, hey, what took you so long? Now let's work together and do this. And now what's very interesting is this particular pattern that we are going to see today is a pattern that we are going to see repeated again and that we continue to see repeated. We have here an alliance together of a king and a false prophet. False prophet who had a donkey with him, a beast with him. There is, a, in the book of Revelation, talks about an alliance that happens between a dragon, a beast, and a false prophet that do everything they can to harm the people of God. So this pattern that we are seeing here is a pattern that we see repeated and that John mentions in the book of Revelation and so here we have, though, this king and this false prophet. And in, verse 20, in chapter 23, in verse 1, it says, Balaam said to Balak, Build for me here seven altars. Prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. Balak did as Balaam had said. And Balak and Balaam offered on each altar a bull and a ram. And Balaam said to Balak, Stand beside your burnt offering and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me. And whatever he shows me, I will tell you. So here, Balaam and Balak, they're, they're, they're on this mountain. We read about that last week at the very end, this Bamoth Baal, and they're over this mountain. They're going to pronounce this curse over Israel. Balaam says, let's, let's do some sacrifices. Balaam is aware of Israel's God. He knows some of what Israel's God has said. 
And he knows Israel's God is a God who seems to like sacrifices. So he says, let's do some sacrifices. Let's get God on our side by offering him some sacrifices. If we offer him some sacrifices, then surely he's going to do what we want him to do. It's kind of like, I did this for you, God. So now you're going to do for me what I want you to do. You ever said that before? God, why are you allowing this to happen in my life? I gave you my life. I trusted you with my life for my salvation. Why are you allowing this to happen? And it's almost like this bartering that we do with God. God, look at all the good stuff I've done with you. Why are you not blessing me? Why are you still allowing those that I love suffer with cancer? We do this all the time with God. So we can give Balaam a hard time, but sometimes we need to look in the mirror and realize so often we play the same kind of game with God. God, look at the sacrifice I gave to you. Now you owe me. That's not how it works. Regardless of whatever TV personality preacher tells you on TV, that's not how the gospel works. God uses our pain. God uses the suffering that we go through and uses it for his glory. And he uses that pain in our life to mold us into the people he wants us to be. So let's stop playing these kinds of games with God. The same game that Balaam is trying to play here is a game we play as well. Perhaps the Lord will come meet me. Whatever he shows me, I'll tell you. And then it says, and he went to a bare height and God met Balaam. This is a common practice for Balaam. This would have been very likely when Balaam would do this, he would say, hey, you stay here. I'm gonna go meet with God for a bit. I'm gonna go meet with whatever God that I'm trying to manipulate right now and I'm gonna see what he says to me. And then he would go and, and, and do what he ever, whatever he would do in the past. This very likely surprised him when he went to go in this quiet place with God and now it says God met Balaam. This is probably now a pattern he had followed, but now God is mixing it up and actually showing up here to Balaam. God met Balaam. Balaam said to him, I have arranged the seven altars and I have offered on each altar a bull and a ram. And the Lord put a mouth in Balaam's mouth, so a word in Balaam's mouth. So you can see right there, you can see he's him saying, listen, I did this for you. This is what he said to God. I've given you these sacrifices. Now speak to me. God in his grace does speak with him, but it says the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth. And I want you to remember that statement because we are going to see that statement Repeat it again as we continue to study this passage. The Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. Verse 6, And he returned to him, and behold, he and all the princes of Moab were standing beside his burnt offering, and they were waiting for what Balaam was going to come say. And you can bet that Balak would have been there excited. Balaam went off to meet with God. He's going to manipulate this God and pronounce a curse over Israel, and Balak is excited seeing Balaam return, kind of like, you know, twiddling his fingers, like, what's he going to do this time? What's he going to do? So Balak, as he is excited for Balaam to come, says this, Balaam took up his discourse and said, from Aram, Balak has brought me the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. So this is describing what happened, and here's the purpose that he brought him for. Come curse Jacob for me and come denounce Israel. So Balaam starts with something Balak would have been happy with. Just repeating what Balak has done. Balak brought me here to bring a curse on Israel. Now Balak is excited. What's he gonna say next? What's he gonna pronounce to him? What's he gonna curse them with? Verse eight, how can I curse whom God has not cursed? I bet you can imagine if Balaam, if you could see Balak at that moment, he'd be like, eyes wide open. What are you doing? How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not 
denounced? How can I go against the Lord? The Lord has protected these people. He has made a covenant with them. He has made a covenant with them that he would bless them. And anyone who blesses them would bless would be blessed. Whoever curses them would be cursed. And so here we have Balaam re, uh, repeating what God had promised to Abraham that we've been looking at over the past number of weeks in Genesis chapter 12, the covenant God made with Abraham. Balaam says, how can I do, how can I go against the Lord in doing that? Verse nine goes on from the top of the crags. I see him from the hills. I behold him, behold the people dwelling alone and not counting itself among the nations. So he stands up and he says, the people of God, the people of Israel, they don't count themselves among the nations. In other words, they are unique. They are privileged. They are blessed. How can I go against them? They hold a unique position unlike any other nation, he says. And he's going to go on in the second oracle to explain to us why that is the case. But for now, he's just simply saying, you are unique, people of God. And I could say the same thing to you based on what we read. In the scriptures, if you know Jesus, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And we could read Ephesians chapter one and you would see all of the many blessings upon which you are blessed with because of what Christ has done for you. That you are blessed with adoption, that you are blessed with redemption, that you have been justified, that you have an inheritance that is unfading. And so I could stand here and repeat these same words over you. You are unique among the nations, O people of God, you have been blessed in Christ. With here, Balaam just simply says at this point, not counting himself among the nations, you are unique. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? That's an interesting line. Now, what does that remind you of? Again, Genesis 12, Genesis 13, I will make you a nation, he says to Abraham, and your descendants will be like sand on the seashore. So Balaam is, again, this reminder that the Lord is fulfilling what he said he would do. It's going to be like dust. There's so many, or number the fourth part of Israel. Now, it's interesting. This particular line is likely Balaam saying, there are so many of you, I can't even get a handle on it. I can't even get a number. I'm trying to number you. I'm trying to get a handle on who you are, and yet I can't do it because there are so many of you. And then he says this, let me die the death of the uprights. Let my end be like his. You are unique among the nations. And I want what you have. That's what Balaam says over the people, except he says, not I want what you have right now. I want what your end will be. This is a great picture of someone who wants the blessing at the end without the sacrifice. They want to live their life however they want to live. But at the end of their life, they want heaven. They don't care about him now. They, don't, they want to live their life how they want to live, but they want their end to be like one of someone who knows God. He wants the blessing without the sacrifice. Let me die the death of the upright. Let my end be like his. I want to be like them in terms of when I die. Balak said to Balaam, verse 11, what have you done to me? What have you done? I took you to curse my enemies. Behold, you have done nothing but bless them. Like, Balaam, this is not what I brought you. I sent my guys to you. Took them 10 to 14 days to get there. 10 to 14 days to get back. You made them come again. This is like a lot of going back and forth. A lot of money spent to get you here. And now you've done nothing but bless them. The exact opposite that I brought you here to do. 
my page flip. I think it, oh no, it's good. Okay, here we go. What have you done to me? I took you to curse and behold, you did nothing but bless them. Verse 12, and he said, he answered and said, must I not take care to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? Do you not realize I am powerless against this God? I would love to be able to bless them for you so I can get that house of silver and gold I hinted at before. But I told you before, and I'm telling you again, I am powerless against the Lord. Verse 13, Balak said to him, please come with me to another place. Here's the start of the second oracle. Like, oh, must be. The problem must be where we are. Let's try to take you to another place. Have you heard the definition of insanity before? Doing the same thing, but expecting different results. Now for him, he thinks, you know what? Maybe if I bring him to a different place. Now here's why he would have thought this. I uh, explained a, a, few, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, on one level, we, you go to different mi- mountain heights, and they believe the higher you were on the mountain, the closer you were with the gods, and so the more power you have. Kind of like your cell phone. The closer you are to a cell tower, the more power your cell phone is able to get and the faster it's able to go. That's the idea. The closer you are to the gods, the more powerful you can be. But here he's like, let's not go to a higher place. Let's go to a different mountain. And so the idea here is, and and I've seen this in Nigeria. In Nigeria, the belief is, and the same belief was in this day, that there are certain gods that are gods over certain territories. That, that, that this God runs this territory. And if you go into that territory and try to fight that God and they win, it's because the God of that territory went, uh, defeated you. But if you bring them into your territory, then your God is stronger there and so they can fight you there. And we actually read the same thing happening in Israel's time. And the king saying, well, let's, the reason we lost is because we went into their territory and that God defeated us. Same kind of stories we read through the people of God's history. And that's the same kind of thing here. So they think, let's go to another place where there's another God who's God of that territory, and maybe he will be stronger. So that's what he thinks is going to happen. So let's go to another place from which you may see them. You shall only see a fraction of them and may not see them all, then curse them for me from there. A couple of points on that line. One is, once again, I'm saying this a lot, but this is a story that is reminding God's people that the covenant he made with Abraham, he will keep. Just like God will always keep every promise he makes. We're seeing that again. Now, the other part of that, the reason they go to a place where they can only see a fraction of them is because he thinks if he sees all of them, they'll be more powerful. If he sees only a fraction of them, then somehow maybe they'll be less powerful. So that's the idea of, of Balak here. It seems to be the idea of Balak here. Verse 14 goes on. He took him to the field of Zophim to the top of Pisgah, built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. You're going to see this repetition happening as the story is un, as the story is told. Verse 15, Balak says to Balak, uh, Balaam says to Balak, "All right, same routine as last time. Stand here beside your burnt offering, and I will go over and meet the Lord over there." The Lord met Balaam, and again, what did he do? Put a word in his mouth and said, "Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak." You see that same repetition happening. And so you got to expect probably the same results are going to happen as we're being set up to see. Verse 17, he came to him. Behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering and the princes of Moab with him. And Balak said to him, what has the Lord spoken? Probably excited again. Surely this time 
you are able to manipulate the gods and you're going to be able to speak a word of cursing over them. What has he spoken this time? And probably a little bit excited again. Balak took up his discourse and said, Oracle number two, rise, Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. What's he talking about again? The promises that God made to Israel. I'm going to sound like a broken record. The promises that God made, he can't go back on them. We heard in that song that Martin showed us in that video, my God is so big, there's nothing he cannot do. I think it's a powerful song. It's a great song. It's mostly true. There are certain things God cannot do. And one of the things is lie. God is not a man. He is not like you. He is not just a perfect version of you. He is so much other than you. And there are certain things God cannot do. And one of those things is go back on his word. Maybe you can say to your spouse or you say to a friend, I'm going to uh, promise that I'm going to do this and you let them down. Well, God is simply not even able to do that. When he speaks something, he does it every single time. Anytime you read in the scriptures a promise that God has given to us, you can rest in that promise with full assurance that he is going to do what he said he's going to do. And so Balaam repeats this truth. God's not going to change his mind. He's already promised Israel, God's, his people, that he is going to bless them. And I can't go against that. He's not going to change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot revoke it. Can't do it. Can't go against this God. Verse 21, has he not beheld, sorry, he has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. That's an interesting line. Some of your verses may use the word iniquity. It says, he has not seen iniquity in his people. Is he saying that Israel as a nation is perfect here? That they don't do anything wrong? He hasn't even seen a sin in Israel. Is that what he's saying? We know that that's not what he's saying because God has already seen many sins of Israel and he's punished them for it. The generation that is camped out in front uh, of the, on the other side of the Jordan to get ready to go into Jericho is a generation of mostly at this point, the new generation, the old generation that was disobedient, the old generation that questioned whether or not God was big enough or strong enough to, to, to give them what he said he would do they had all passed away out of judgment. God said, you're not even going to get to see the promised land now. There's a new generation that's going to get to see it. So he's not saying that he's never seen a sin in Israel, but what he's saying is the same thing we just sang in that song earlier. That yes, their sins are many, but it will not exhaust the mercy of God. Yes, God has seen our iniquity. He knows your heart that has sinned against him. And yet even your sin cannot exhaust the mercy of God. Same truth can be said over us. We praise God for that. These people are in a privileged position. You are privileged as a child of God. In 2 Peter, you are a royal priesthood, a nation set apart, 
You are not that way because of how awesome you are, but because of how merciful our God is and because of how awesome he is and what he has done for you. So God's people, first oracle, you are unique among the nations. Second oracle, you are unique unique among the nations, not because you're special, but because of your God who is special and who has made you that way. The Lord, their God, is with them. The shout of the king is among them. Again, you are unique because the Lord, your God, is with you. And the Lord, your God, is not just the Lord over a certain territory, but the Lord that is with you is Lord over the heavens and the earth. He is not just Lord over one territory. He's Lord of the universe. And if you look at the size of the earth, and you zoom out and you see the earth in the midst of the galaxy that we are in, and you zoom out further and you see the number of galaxies that exist in the world, and you begin to realize just how big God is, that he simply spoke and all of that came into existence. Our God is not God over a certain territory, but he is God over all, sovereign over the entire universe. And he's with you. And the shout of the king is among them. Shout of a king is a shout of victory. The reason you have victory is not because you are strong. It's because your God is strong and he is with you. God brings them out of Egypt. He's going to recount these victories. God brings them out of Egypt and is for them like the horns of a wild ox. Horn is a symbol of strength. For there's no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against Israel. There's no power of hell that can stand against the church of Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. In the words of Balaam here, there's no enchantment against God's people. There's no divination against Israel. There's nothing that any power of darkness can do that will keep God from doing what he will do. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, what has God wrought? Behold, a people, as a lioness, it rises up. And as a lion, it lifts itself. I want you to keep in mind that lion metaphor. We're going to see it mentioned again. This is somewhat graphic imagery that's being used here. It does not lie down until it's devoured the prey and drunk the blood of the slain. Graphic imagery to say God, when he gives his people victory, gives them absolute victory. Verse 25, Balak says to Balaam, do not curse them at all. Do not bless them at all. In other words, if you can't say anything bad, don't say anything at all, is what Balak says to Balaam. But Balaam answered Balak, did I not tell you all the Lord says that I must do? And Balak said to Balaam, come now, I'll take you to another place. That's meant to make you chuckle just a little bit. Like, are you kidding? You really think after all of this, the problem is the place. Balak is thick-headed or something. Let's go to another place. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them for me from there. Perhaps it will please God that you curse his people. Like, come on. This is what Balak is thinking. Like the donkey had more logic than Balak here. No question. Verse 28, so Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor, which overlooks the desert. Now, we're going to see Peor mentioned again particularly as we move, I'm going to move into chapter 25 in this series just a little bit because it's kind of the aftermath of all of this. I want you to keep Peor in the back of your head as well. Peor is the mountain where the temple of Baal was on. 
and Baal. This is the first time we see the people of God struggling with Baal in chapter 25 and moving on in Numbers. And it's going to be this repetition we are going to see God's people struggling with Baal throughout their, the, the rest of their lives as, as they journey. But on Peor, this is where the temple of Baal was on. We talk a, little, a lot more about that. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. It overlooks the desert. Balaam said to Balak, build for me here seven altars, prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. So again, this repetition, again, this let's do what Yahweh wants. Let's do this sacrifice and surely we can manipulate him. But here, this is where it gets interesting. Verse one, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as in other times to look for omens, but he set his face toward the wilderness. What's that telling us? It's telling us that previous two times when Balaam said to Balak, you stay here by the sacrifice, I'm going to go meet with God. When, we, when he went to go meet with God, he was trying to use divination against God. He was seeking omens against God. He did not approach God with a pure heart. He approached God with, how can I manipulate you? And so this time he's like, well, I'm realizing now that that doesn't work. That there is no divination against Israel, he just said. There's no power of hell that can go against this God. So I'm not even going to bother trying anymore. So he set his face toward the wilderness. Balaam, verse 2 of chapter 24, Balaam lifted up his eyes. He saw Israel camping tribe by tribe, and the Spirit of God came upon him. And you say, what? The Spirit of God came upon him. Balak is a false prophet. Balak is a soothsayer, a, a seer, a sorcerer, someone who tries to use divination to manipulate God. And here, the Spirit of God comes upon him. What does this tell us? It tells us that God can use anyone for his glory, for his purposes. And this is the same story we read throughout the rest of Israel's history, that God uses Pharaoh for the fulfillment of his purposes. God uses Caesar Augustus for the fulfillment of his purposes. There is no one outside the realm of who God can use to fulfill what he has said he will do. If he can use a donkey, he can use you. If he can use Balaam, a false prophet whose motives were, were evil, surely he can use you as well. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, upon Balaam. And he took up his discourse and he said this, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor. Now, just as a, uh, as a quick fun fact, that word oracle, this is one of the ways that we know that this is a false prophet. That word oracle is not used of any true prophet in the entire Old Testament. That Hebrew word for oracle is used only for a false prophet here like Balaam. The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is open, the oracle of him whose who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, that word means all-powerful, of the Sovereign One, falling down with his eyes uncovered. So you see that repetition of eyes and mouth. I, I, I realize that it's God who opens my eyes, it's God who opens my mouth, and I can do nothing but what he says I can speak. It is the God who opens all of these things. And then verse 5 goes on and says, How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloes that the Lord has planted, like cedar trees beside the waters. Water shall flow from his buckets and his seed shall be in many waters. What is he describing here? What does that place sound like? Paradise. 
Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Everything is in, in this beautiful working order. Everything is delightful. Everything is paradise. And this is how Balaam describes God's people. Balak says, curse them. And Balaam says, look at them. It is like paradise. That line is an interesting line as well in verse 7. Water shall flow from his buckets. His seed shall be in many waters. The Lord said to Abraham, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. Balaam says here, your waters are overflowing. That's the sign of blessing. You have more water than you even need. God is abundantly blessing you. But now also you are going to be a blessing. You are like seeds that go into water and the current takes you to the other nations. And as those seeds are planted, you give life to the other nations. So it is this repetition again. I've blessed you that you can be a blessing. And Balaam, this false prophet, says over them, you have water that is overflowing. You have been blessed and you are going to be a blessing to other nations. Your seed that's going to be planted among all of the other nations. His king shall be higher than Agag and his kingdom shall be exalted. Now, Agag, if you know kind of your biblical history, Agag was a king of the Amalekites. The struggle with this is, is it says, this is hundreds of years later and this is written to a people now at this point. But then also Agag, he was the king that Saul was supposed to take out. Saul didn't take him out and he was disobedient in that. And Agag really was nothing special. So it's an interesting line to say here, he's higher than Agag. If that's referring just to the individual king, it really, why, why does that even matter? Agag wasn't even that special of a king anyway. Here's though where word studies have really helped us. That word Agag is not just a name, it's a title. Same thing as Pharaoh. So Pharaoh is not a name, it's a title. There's many Pharaohs that were held by different individuals. Agag is the same way among the Amalekites and among other nations. So Agag is a title. Now, what is interesting about that is Agag means high. So this is a pun. He is higher than Agag. He is higher than high. This king that the Lord is going to send for his people is higher than high. Let me rephrase that and maybe a word that you might understand. The king that the Lord is sending is the most high. And his kingdom shall be exalted. It shall be above every kingdom. What's he talking about? I should shouldn't, uh, that just made my, the hair on my arms stand up a little bit. It's pointing us forward to Jesus. Remember what the angel said to Mary? Luke chapter one, you will conceive. You will give birth to a child. You shall name him Jesus. He will be great and he will be son of the most high. This is Balaam, a false prophet, pointing us forward to Jesus, the son of the most high, the one who will be higher than high, the one whose kingdom he will establish that will be above every other kingdom. It will be an unshakable kingdom, Daniel tells us, a kingdom that will be, have no end to it. This is, this is beautiful. Balaam pointing us forward to Jesus. God brings him out of Egypt. It's like for him, like the horns of the wild ox. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's from the oracle, second oracle as well. He shall eat up the nations. His adversary shall break their bones in pieces and pierce, their, pierce them through with his arrows. In other words, he will have victory over all of his enemies. His enemies will have no power over this king. 
Now, this is, this is where it gets really interesting, this line in verse 9. He crouched, he lay like a lion, like a lioness who will rouse him up. Isn't that powerful? Here's why this is powerful. Here's why I say that. I want you to flip your Bible back to Genesis 49. This is Balaam speaking this. This is a false prophet saying this. He says, he crouched, he lay down like a lion, like a lioness who will rouse him. I want you to look at Genesis chapter 49. Chapter Genesis chapter 49 is Jacob speaking to his sons and he's giving kind of his final words on his deathbed to each one of his sons. And I want you to look down to verse eight because in verse eight is where Jacob says his final words to Judah. And this is what he says. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion. And as a lioness, who dares rouse him? What does that sound like? The verse we, I wish I put him up on the screen. That's the exact same wording as we just heard out of Balaam's mouth. And here, I'm going to tell you why that's significant in a second. And he goes on to say the scepter, the scepter is that, that, that which the person of power holds, shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from beneath, from between his feet. So speaking of a shepherd, until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the people. So Jacob speaks to Judah and says, out of you will be one who will hold a scepter, who will be a shepherd. And it's the promise that, that, that we read throughout the scriptures of one who is from the line of Judah, who will hold that position of power. And what is he here? He is a lion. So it's speaking of a lion of Judah that will come. He stooped down, he crouched like a lion, as a lioness who dares rouse him. Now, if you go back to Numbers 22, Numbers, sorry, Numbers 24, and that verse nine, that's the exact same wording that Balaam uses here. Now, the question is, how did Balaam know this? How did Balaam recite the exact words spoken from Jacob to Judah to say, out of you is gonna come one who is going to be the lion of Judah? The Holy Spirit came upon him. That's where those words come from. And Balaam prophesies truth. Again, points us forward to Jesus. You are blessed, O people of God. And part of that blessing is God is going to send you a king. He is going to be the lion of Judah, the one who he promised he would send. He will be victorious over all of his enemies. His kingdom shall have no end. This Balaam, Numbers 22 to 24, is pointing us forward to Jesus Christ. And that shouldn't surprise us, even though when I was reading that and I, and I realized that that was exact wording and all this was piecing together, I literally, again, I just, I just got excited. This is just beautiful what we read here thousands of years before Christ even came. And out of the words of a false prophet, out of the words of a guy bent on greed comes truth because God can use anybody to speak truth to his people. And then he says, blessed are you. Blessed are those who bless you. Cursed are those who curse you. Repetition again of the Abrahamic covenant. 
And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam. He struck his hands together and Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies. Behold, you have done nothing but bless them. You've blessed them three times. Verse 11, so go home, Balaam. We don't want you here anymore. You're not doing what I want, so go home. Therefore, flee to your own place. Go home. I will certainly, I will certainly honor you, but the Lord has held you back from that honor. That's a cheap shot. I wanted to bless you. I wanted to give you your house of silver and gold, but the Lord has kept you from that. Same kind of cheap shots, same kind of accusations that get used toward Christians every single day. You know, you could, you could be someone great in the business world. Why are you giving that up to be a missionary in Togo? You could be someone great in the eyes of the world. You could have a platform on Instagram or whatever else platform you want. But instead, you've given your life to Jesus and you're serving the homeless. Cheap shots taken all the time. Because Balak doesn't realize the truth, doesn't realize where abundant life is found. Abundant life is not found in greed, it's not found in money, it's found only in knowing Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah, as your Lord and Savior. It's found only in knowing him in a, in a personal relationship. That's the only place you're ever going to find fulfillment and joy in life. Balak didn't know that. He was blind to that. So he takes cheap shots at you, cheap shots at Balaam, and people take cheap shots at you all the time because their eyes have not been opened to the truth. That's just truth. That's just truth spoken from the words of a false prophet. So just kind of follow that with me here a little bit. This is, this is, this is kind of a, a funny story. It should make us smile just a little bit that Balak says, curse them. And Balaam says, you are unique among the peoples. You are blessed. Balak says, no, let's take you someone else. And let's now you curse them. And then Balaam says, you are unique among the nations because of your great God. He is so good. He has given you paradise. I want my end to be like your end. And then let's try again, Balaam. Let's go to another place, curse them. And then he says, you are blessed. And he is going to send you a king whose kingdom will be forever, will be exalted among, above all other kingdoms. And then we step back and we see the bigness of our God. That as the people of God, remember, they had no idea this was even happening. They would have read about this later. How often, probably we don't know. And I was trying to think, how can I tell a story? But I can't even tell a story because I don't even know the number of times that the Lord has protected me from something that I had no idea that he did. And he does the same thing to us today. And people have got a no idea until after this event happened and then reading it, and they would be stepping back and say, wow, we should have nothing to fear then. And that should be our same response as well. We have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear because our God, the same God who worked here, is the same God who works today, and he works through you and through me. And Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And here's how you're going to have the power and strength to do it. I will be with you till the end of the age. The same God who went with the people of God here is the same God who goes before us today. And so we should have nothing to fear. And we step back from all of this and we realize that so many of the events in our lives happen when God takes that which was meant for evil and uses it for good. That which was meant for harm and uses it for good. And he does the same thing throughout biblical history. He does the same thing for us today. And the best example of this is the example of Jesus Christ. 
Satan meant for evil in the crucifixion of Jesus, God used for the greatest possible good this world could ever know. And he still works like that today. And so you can step back, you can look at your pain, your suffering, and it's real. And we have to wrestle with that. But in every step of the way, God is with you and he is using it, even if we can't see it, for good and for his glory and for the furtherance of his kingdom. And that may not make all of your questions go away, but it should allow us to rest in the goodness of our God and the sovereignty of our God that he knows what he's doing. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. I was pretty pumped up to preach this message. This passage is so incredible, and I think this was thousands of years before. If, you, if, if anything that I've spoken to you, the Holy Spirit's touched your heart, I want to encourage you to spend some time in prayer as we sing this last song. We are going to sing a song that many of you know well. It's called In Christ Alone. And it talks about us being rooted in Christ alone. This is where our hope is found. And if the Lord is speaking to you in any kind of way, I want to encourage you to just in your seat, you can stay seated if you want. You can stand up and belt out these words, but pray out these words that we sing together and spend some time in prayer saying, Lord, uh, so often I question you. So often I try to manipulate you. If the Lord is convicting you on that, I want to encourage you to make that right with him before you leave today. Spend some time in prayer and say, Lord, I'm sorry for the ways, for the games that I have played with you. Look at Balaam and I see myself in Balaam so often. I do the same kinds of things. And if the Lord is convicting you in that, just spend some time in prayer and give that over to him and root yourself again in the Jesus who Balaam looked forward to here, who came to this earth, who died on the cross for your sin not because you deserved it, but because of his mercy, because of his grace, because of his love for you. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the grave. And we have new life. Those who trust Christ have new life with him. Born again is the word that you, the scriptures use. Born again to new life. Jesus ascended to heaven and one day he's coming back. And I pray that these truths encourage your heart today, but also bring conviction in areas where you have acted a little bit like Balaam and playing these games with God. And so I want to encourage you today to set your heart right with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, your son who is this king, that Balaam spoke about. This king who is the Lion of Judah, this king who is the Lamb, who allowed himself to be crucified on a cross because of the good that would come out of it. He knew. Out of his love for us, he gave his life that we could have new life. And I pray, Father, that we would live lives of full surrender to you, that we would not be driven in this world by greed. We would not be driven in this world of trying to become famous or make much of ourselves, but that we would be driven in this world to make much of your son, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for us and for those in the world who desperately need to hear this good news. I pray that we would take this message 
into the world with boldness and with courage, without fear, knowing that you go with us wherever we go. We thank you that in Christ alone our hope is found. In Christ alone we have found life, life to the fullest, life abundantly. We thank you for him and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you've been encouraged by our time today in God's Word, we'd love for you to connect with us on social media and let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at SCBC London. Until next time, I'm your host, Ryan, and this has been Stony Creek Radio. God bless. Thank you.